morning again, everyone. Just to warn you, Christy's been sick, Noah is sick, and I think I'm next. So, um, trying not to shake too many hands this morning. And in all honesty, I'm not quite sure how long I'll be able to stand up here. So my apologies to the visual learners among us. I've gotten rid of all my slides except for this one because I'm not quite sure how, uh, how many uh, on-the-fly edits I'm going to be making here. I'm just being honest. Whenever you hear that phrase, typically we've heard something that we didn't want to hear. And more often than not, the person who has just said, well, I'm just being honest, has said something not entirely kind, that wouldn't really be characterized by being bathed in love. For some reason, we've fallen into this trap of thinking that Well, the truth hurts, and it always hurts. And so the truth and kindness, in a lot of ways, are in opposition to one another. I think it might have something to do with the the postmodern landscape we find ourselves in. The idea that what's true for me may not be true for you, and how dare you impose your truth on me. For some Truth claims are seen as inherently unloving and unkind. But that's just not the way it should be. Truth and love are not in opposition. Even when the truth is painful, even when the truth is difficult to hear, truth and love are not in opposition. And in fact, I would say that love is truth's most powerful ally. I shudder to think how much truth has gone unheard in this world because it was clothed in anger or even hate instead of being clothed in love. How many times is the truth, as true as it may be, not listened to and not appreciated for what it is because love seems to be absent from the equation. But you see, truth without love is not the whole truth. Or Truth minus love does not equal truth. Here in Second John, says, the elder to the lady chosen by God, speaking to a church here, and to her children, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth which lives in us and will be with us forever, grace and peace from God, excuse me, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father, and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son, will be with us in truth and love. It's given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as our Father commanded us. And now, dear lady, I am not writing a new command, but one we have had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. See, for John, as he writes this letter, he has one priority in two parts. 
The priority that all of us as Christians should have, the priority of truth, his concern that they be walking in truth, his encouragement when he hears that they have been walking in truth. But he reminds them that they must also love one another in all things. Truth and love are intimately linked. The ironic thing in this day and age for so many is that those who would feign love and concern for us sometimes are the ones who try to deceive us the most. That so many of those who try to deceive us are selling certainty. Those who would feign love and concern for us exchange the full truth for a simplistic certainty in which the complexity of the truth simply won't fit. The talking heads on both sides of any issue, you name it, want to convince you that if you just see things their way, well, everything would be just fine. You'd be secure, you'd be safe, you'd be prosperous. If you just look at things their way. But the truth is more complicated than that. And as people of God, we need to make sure that we strive for truth in all things. That we're not ready to believe a pleasing lie regardless of its source. That we're not ready to pass on a rumor because it's exciting. That we're not ready to spread on some information that just confirms what we already want to hear, what we want to believe, but that we're people of truth in all things. You see, sometimes the truth is more complicated than what the world would want us to believe. Now, the simple truth of the gospel, and there are simple truths at the heart of the gospel, but the simple truth of the gospel leads to far more complexity than most of us are comfortable with. It's not that hard to grasp the basics of the gospel message. That God is love that he's created us for relationship, that he loves us more than we can comprehend. That in accordance with the promises that he made to Israel, that the kingdom was coming, he sent the Messiah, his very son, to express his love for us, to redeem us, to usher in the kingdom of God, and he wants us to be a part of it. The basics of the gospel message are not that complicated and not that hard to grasp. But then to live a life in accordance with that truth. To live a cruciform life, a cross-shaped life. Well, that gets a little more complicated. But we like simplicity, we like certainty, we don't like ambiguity. And that's not a new thing with us. Over in verse 7, John says, I say this, as he reminds them to walk in both truth and love, he says, I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the Antichrist. Now, last week, I, I mentioned somewhat in, in passing this idea of, of Gnosticism and the different branches of that 
um, in the ancient world and, and early Christianity, and those who felt they had this special knowledge. And talked about part of this where there some of those who thought that there was such a firm distinction between the flesh and the spirit. Some went into the extreme of saying what we did in the flesh didn't matter that much. It was all what is done in spirit that mattered. Well, it was another branch of, of Gnosticism called docetism. We're learning all kinds of words here, but it comes from a Greek word that means to seem. They said that, well, since the flesh is so sinful and the spirit is so pure, well, Jesus didn't really come in the flesh, the way the apostles said and the way those witnesses said. He just appeared to. He just seemed to. Because there's no way that that a holy God could inhabit such sinful flesh. Those two were in such opposition, as, as we know from, from living with that reality. There's no way that a perfect God could really inhabit flesh like this, and that it would really be hung on a cross. That was just too much for them to swallow. See, the, in, the incarnation is complicated. The incarnation is in some ways beyond our comprehension. That this Jesus could be 100% man, yet 100% God, dwelling among us. That's a complicated truth. But to say, oh, it was just an illusion, it just seemed that way. Well, that's a lot simpler to swallow. And it also takes away many of the struggles and many of the demands that that gospel would place upon us in response. So many times I like to strive for simplicity and I like to break things down to their most basic elements. I think there's value in simplicity, but not at the expense of truth. And here's why. In verse 8, he says, Watch out that you do not lose what we have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son that those who are losing this truth, this complicated, hard-to-comprehend truth, this truth that makes such high demands, this truth that speaks into our lives in sometimes uncomfortable ways, well, those who have let go of that truth are losing their grip on God Himself. When we try and make things too simple, more straightforward than the truth would allow, We can lose our very grip on God. You see, part of a love for truth involves a healthy respect for the things that we simply do not know. The things that are simply beyond our understanding. But humility isn't a very popular trait. We know we're supposed to be humble. Humility is great for you, (laughs) but not for me. Because I like to understand. I like to have it all together. But humility is required when we admit that the truth is bigger than we are. That the certainty that we seek sometimes is a little bit beyond us. But when we grasp that humility, our love of truth can translate into a love of God. A God whom we pursue 
but who we never expect and we certainly never claim to fully capture, to fully comprehend. We never make ourselves so large that we make God so small. And so love can bring us to that point of humility. A love for God, a love for truth can teach us. I heard not too long ago, I was listening to an interview, and this guy, I'm always going to remember this story, um, this guy said he, he was, when he was like 12 or 13 years old, I think he said it was the summer before his seventh grade year, he lived up in, I think it was in Western Canada during like the late 60s, early 70s, and there was this guy who was going around all these small towns in his area that he was this guru kind of guy, and guru in the sort of Eastern mysticism kind of sense. And he was going around doing these seminars um, to, to teach people yoga, not the, you know, let's work on my flexibility yoga, but the full-on Eastern mysticism yoga. And he said that, and we saw this guy's poster on a wall somewhere, and it said, I will not teach you yoga. I will teach you love, and love itself will teach you yoga. And as a 12, 13-year-old, he thought that was hilarious. because He thought that was probably the most ridiculous thing he had ever heard. Um, And said that he went through, the smart aleck 7th grader that he was, he went through his whole 7th grade year saying things in school like, I will not teach you math. I will teach you love, and love itself will teach you math. Pretty much any subject, he said, oh no, I won't teach you this. I will teach you love, and love itself will teach you. And that it's funny. But as I heard him tell that story, I thought, well, wait a minute, what does love teach us? I think love can teach us truth. We can seek truth and we can pursue truth, but if we don't do it first in the context of love, I don't think we will ever capture in our minds and in our hearts the truth of God. Because the simple truth of the cross and the hard and and complex truth of living a life of discipleship, only love can teach us that. Only love could teach us the truth of a God who loves us. Only the love of Jesus in the flesh, not just telling us what we should do, but showing us the lengths to which he would go to ensure our salvation, to ensure our relationship with Him. Only the love of God expressed on the cross, that ultimate sacrifice, that ultimate show of love, only love could teach us truth. There have been great teachers. There were many prophets that came before Jesus And they gave us pieces of that truth that was to come, but God was not fully revealed in those prophets. God was not fully revealed in the law. God was not fully revealed in all that came before Christ because they were all pointing to Him because it was only in the love of God expressed through that man, Jesus Christ, that God was fully revealed. So we should be lovers of truth. Truth in its simple clarity, but also in its messiness and its complexity. 
We should be lovers of God as He's revealed fully through Jesus. But as He remains a God who will not fit into any box we may construct for Him. A God more grand than our simple minds can conceive. Philippians 4 verses 8 and 9 says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Or another way of saying that, as Thomas Jefferson did in his lifetime, we must not be afraid to follow the truth wherever it may lead. Wherever the truth of God leads us, we will find love there. Wherever we follow the love of God, we will find truth there. Because the truth of God and the love of God, again, they all lead us back to the same point. They all lead us back to the gospel of Jesus Christ. They all lead us back to the man hanging on the cross for our sins, dying for us, and the story not ending there. But he didn't just love us enough to die for us. He also loved us enough that when he was raised up to walk in a new life, He also loved us enough to say, you can have that life too. I love you so much that not only will I pay the penalty for your sin, but you can be called sons and daughters of God. You can live a life in this kingdom as a child of God, not as a sinful creation separated from him, but one whom the life of Christ becomes your life. The Spirit of God dwells within you. If there's any way this morning that you'd like to respond to the truth and love that's been expressed to you, we'd ask that you let us know. If there's any way that we can help you understand that more, if there's anything that you'd like to do to respond, please come now. We'll be stand. Why don't we sing?